So welcome to the Exploring Humanity podcast. I'm really excited today that I have Amanda on the show and we are going to be discussing psychedelics in progression to the last episode we had here on the podcast. But we are going to dive a bit more into specifically the aspect of integration in psychedelics, which I know you work with a lot. Um, so I'm super excited to have you on the podcast, Amanda. Oh, really happy to be here. Thank you, Thomas. No, my pleasure to have you on. And I think just so people can get to know you a little bit on a personal level, it would be lovely if, you know, maybe you could just share a bit about what even got you interested in this field and also the part of integration, because we all come with a story, which is normally how we end up in this field in the first place. Absolutely, yes. For me, I entered this world of um, the psychedelics world very much through personal, my own personal story. I uh, was myself suffering from uh, anxiety and depression when I was younger. I was part of this American pharmaceutical system where I didn't really know how else to help myself. And, and I was trying all sorts of ways to, to relieve a lot of the symptoms of what I was feeling. But I wasn't really uncovering the why. Why was I feeling this way? And I later came upon a group of people, a community that was doing things a bit differently. They were exploring other modalities like meditation and dance and yoga. And I started to understand that for me, there was something more that I needed to uncover about myself. And plant medicine, psychedelics came into the fold. And that's when I worked with them for the first time. This was many, many years ago. And since that point, um, I've really devoted my life to helping support others in navigating their own processes with psychedelics. I've really gone from a personal experience to going back to academia and studying neuroscience and psychology. And then I entered the business world where we were making investments in psychedelic therapy and even, even working in the nonprofit sector. So I, I also try to understand how we can support people in an accessible way and with this layer of reciprocity. And all of these stories really converged around this importance of integration for me, psychedelic integration. And that's that's where I am now in terms of how I got here. Uh, of course, um, integration has been very much my life path in many ways. Um, I've been integrating that very first plant medicine journey. Um, all those years ago and this has sort of been the result of it beautiful thank you so much for sharing and as i said i think we all come here because of a reason that we had some story that obviously motivated us into this field and to explore it more and i know for me similar very similar actually to what you described i think i was spending a lot of time numbing my emotional experience and i think what i found was that psychedelics could help me do the opposite, to get in touch with them and even enhance them. So I could actually process them and in some, ex in some episodes reprocess those experiences in a way that I couldn't do in other ways. So it allowed me to integrate. And what was so fascinating, because I did all my studies before I ever engaged or touched or had an experience with it myself. And I think it helped me really plan, prepare, which we'll talk about today, you know, the preparation, the integration. And I'm so grateful I did that because I know a lot of people who just randomly taken psychedelics or gone to random retreats and then gone home to their normal life who haven't really benefited in the way that obviously I know that I have um, because I did that, which is why I have that passion for, of course, spreading the words and having these conversations with you. And even I spoke to a friend yesterday that, I still notice now every day how my mind is so much more flexible. Before, I used to get really rigid. I would have a stress response if people didn't agree with me. I would have to somehow get them to see my point of view. And I don't have that rigidity of, of thought anymore. I notice there's a flexibility of mind where I'm open to other perspectives, and I don't really mind who's right. And I know that only came after... I had that experience engaging with psilocybin and it's almost like it did a reset where the nervous system became much more calm and relaxed existing in the world in general. And from that place, we don't have to be so rigid, right? About our behaviors, about our opinions. 
And I think we open up a flexibility of compassion that at least for me myself, I had never been able to access. And it's hard to explain to people who haven't tried it, right? Um, yeah. But because it's a very felt embodied experience, not cognitive, which is what we're trying to do now. But I'm curious if you had any experiences with the integration and, and how that had impacted you, if it has yeah. had, of course, an impact. Absolutely. I mean, when you describe sort of you having studied a lot of this before entering the experience, I kind of went the opposite direction, right? I, I sort of was experimenting and I went straight into a, a plant medicine journey. And then later I decided, okay, what actually happened to me in my brain? And that's when I went back to, to school to really understand the mechanisms there. But you know, in many ways, the reason why I'm, I'm so focused on integration is precisely because of what happened to me that at that point in time. And looking back on my life now, seeing how all the steps that I've been taking to get to where I am now have been an integration process. And it really highlights for me that people don't need to be doing these psychedelics um, experiences, taking these substances all the time or often. They can have one major experience in their life that they're integrating for the rest of their life. And that's not necessarily the case for me as I've had quite some extensive experience with these substances. But that first moment really opened the doors and it brought all this. What, what happened to me really was it didn't cure anything. It didn't make that depressive state or those that anxiety that rumination just go away overnight i didn't wake up the next day and all of a sudden i had this flexibility of mind and i was open to all these new ideas that came later through integration but what it did was it kind of flew open those doors and it gave me the spaciousness to even think that that's a possibility it gave me that understanding that we have what it takes within us to explore that possibility we don't need to go and take a Xanax, I was taking benzodiazepines, anytime I was feeling a, a sense of discomfort. And what this, this experience did for me was it showed me the way without doing that to actually sit with the emotions. You mentioned like uncovering this emotional body. And I was starting to pinpoint where my emotions were actually happening within my body and how to locate them and how to accept them and just kind of sit with them and let them move through me. And that was a big driver of how I integrated later because it was just exploring myself a bit better at the end of the day. So integration is so important. Yes. <laughs> it makes me happy hearing you speak because, you know, I think I resonated a lot with this, that it's an embodied experience, which is why it's hard to explain. And I think what I noticed both doing, but especially after, is how I was able to sense my body in a new way and almost learning a new language because we learned the language and we are trained through our education and language of cognition, of thought, right, of logical reasoning. But often I think we lose the touch with the signals that the body constantly send, which is also another language to help us navigate the world, right? We have cognition, which is great. We have emotions, limbic, and we have sensation, and often we try to separate them to understand them, I think, in Western culture, when it's actually an integrated organism, all speaking to us in different ways, trying to help us. So it really helped me stop down. And I learned afterwards how to notice when something was good for me and not purely by noticing the change in body sensation and being able to say, this doesn't feel good here. And I don't need to know logically why, but it's not where my organ is. Oh, this feels really good. And I notice when I follow sensation, they're much more accurate than when I follow my logic, actually. It's very fascinating. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to share that. But, you know, I think that kind of brings me into what I want to discuss next, because I had the same experience as you, that it was not taking a psychedelics that changed me. And in the beginning, I kind of felt, oh, was this what they were talking about so much in the literature? Almost a disappointment. And even I felt a bit more anxious a couple of weeks after, which I now know can be quite normal. Um, but I think it was a long term. It only started showing after three, four, five months, six months, really, because I had obviously planned. And I kind of had taken away things that knew that could impact my neuroplasticity in an adverse way and cultivated the secure attachment that I knew I had and a support system that I really tapped into a lot. Um, so that brings me into a bit this 
the misunderstanding maybe a bit we have in Western culture because we always want something quick, right? We want a pill that you can take, an antidepressant or something that just numbs anxiety, which is very much based on an idea of numbing, right? Antidepressant yes. actually lessen your emotional capacity and it might feel nice if you're in a lot of pain, but again, it's numbing, right? And it comes from the medical model where it's nice. If you have surgery, I'm very happy they can numb my pain. But it doesn't necessarily work the same way for the emotional world, right, that we navigate. So I'm really curious about, yeah, some of the misunderstandings maybe that we have in our approach here from Western culture in engaging with these substances and also even what I have experienced, at least maybe you are different, the resistance that can sometimes be to the idea of integration and that you actually have to do something afterwards. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. So firstly, this notion of this being a magic pill, right? The solution that we can, we have a problem and th this pill will, will help us make it all sort of in nice, easy little package and then we can move on with our lives. But <laughs> real, real healing is a, is a process. It's not a, it's not a, a quick fix. And also the true healing is, is, a, is almost a preventative, it's a prevention because we're so used to finding solutions to something when it's already come about, when we're already at a point of almost no return, where we have an illness, we have something, we're past the tipping point. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting about working with these is it's in many ways, and what's fascinating for me, I see more and more people starting to approach this, not just in my case, which was, I was already there. I was already at a point where I had felt like there was nothing else to do but to try this because these, these medications I was taking wasn't helping me. And in the sort of medical model we have now, that's where we're at. We have treatment-resistant depression being studied um, as, a, as, 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 a, as an indication for uh, psilocybin, right? So psilocybin to treat treatment-resistant depression or MDMA for post-traumatic stress disorder, which is nearing the end of its phase three clinical trials in the United States, that's all very well and good and very important to help people who are already unwell. But what I think is interesting is that there's this potentiality for people to just start to do the basics again and uncover, you say, their emotional body. And that's perhaps what people are still maybe opening up to, right? It's not just for people who are ill. And that takes away the narrative that psychedelics are a treatment. They are not only a treatment, they are a tool that we can use as part of our whole life, which we can consider an integration process. And so another part that I feel people have trouble to understand is that it is an, in, it's part of an integrative Process, uh, system of healing, right? So yes, these psychedelics, they may very well act on specific, you know, receptors in our brain, and they might actually reduce, you know, activity in the default mode network and, you know, all these things that, you know, enhance neuroplasticity, that's all well and good. But if we're not taking active choices to better our lifestyle, our diet, uh, the way we move and exercise, our relationships with others, you know, our relational capacities, you know, we, we start to shift the environment around us. None of what we do at these psychedelics is going to work because we're not completely transforming our entire ecosystem that we live in. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so happy you bring this up. And we were obviously going to end up discussing about this because it's so important because we don't live in isolation and healing is not something we do on our own. And the wounds that we carry were also created in a social context, right? Um, which is why the idea, which I think, again, Western model have been very based on, you know, we, we have therapy and, you know, I even help people. And often we have this model of it's one-to-one, -one, but we actually have to look at them in a context of social interaction and where, who they're with, their support system, et cetera, and community as well. And, you know, I think a lot of the mental health issues, as you say, that's where a lot of the research is. But we often forget that we have a lot of mental health issues probably because the fundamental environment that people are living in is not optimized for the organism to flourish, right? And it's interesting we don't also start, like we're looking at a lot of treatment and not so much as why are we here in the first place? Because the organism were actually developed over a long time to fit very well within this environment of nature, and now we are obviously struggling with a lot of mental health issues 
even though wealth is growing and growing, right? We have more easy access. What is it we are missing? And I guess that brings us to, again, the integration and what element. Because, again, I think the clinical research, like you, I'm very appreciative of what they're doing, the findings. It's super helpful. It will help become legalized. It will help us understand better practices, any things we have to be careful. But they're also limited to study people, again, in quite isolated ways, right? Because that's how research works. So they can't really see them in a social context and necessarily measure those factors that maybe are super important, actually. So, yes, I would love to hear more about your opinion on that and how we can take other things outside the general medical model to help provide an environment maybe where the organism can flourish both with and without psychedelics. Absolutely. You know, you you mentioned something. These studies are being done where the individual is on their own sort of being healed and treated and integrating is also done in isolation, one-on-one individual work. But actually, you know, healing is relational, it's in community. And one thing that I learned, um, I've spent some time working with indigenous communities that steward sacred plant medicines, including ayahuasca in the Amazon basin. And I've learned that they they don't have a concept for integration. I've tried to understand, okay, so what is an original indigenous view of integration? That's not even a that's not even a term that makes sense to them because their life is the way they live their life is is integration. There is no there is no separation. The medicine that they work with, so let's say there is a community that is it's part of their culture and their identity to work with these sacred plants, these hallucinogenic substances. Their their spiritual leader lives in the village that they can go and see later their their family and friends they're all part of the same system of working with these medicines right with these these experiences and so there is no direct need to separate and to say okay i've done something completely out of the norm and now i'm going to go and do something about it they're also very much integrated with the natural world with nature around them right so there's they're, they're, they don't have an environment that is not conducive to, to a very organic unfolding. And so what we can learn is that obviously the way that they're also healing and working together is in their communities. They're not going and separating themselves and then figuring out their answers to their problems and then coming back and plugging back into their society. They're working together. And when one person is ill or one person is unwell, the whole community comes together to support that person. And so how do we translate that to our urban, modern lifestyle where, you know, for many people who are excited about doing these psychedelics, they go and book a retreat somewhere, you know, let's say a mushroom retreat in the Netherlands, and they have this whole amazing thing that five days they're taken care of, and then they take a plane and go straight back to their house. They go back to see their families, their spouses, their children in a concrete jungle of where they live or you know, there's a very big disconnect. So I feel that integration is as much empowering the individual who's integrating themselves and also creating a language of understanding for the people who are in support, regardless of whether they're doing the psychedelics. How do we help them understand what's happening so that they can meet that person without judgment, without re-traumatizing you know the the experience really being helpful support and so community like building the community around the individual it's of course like the way for all kinds of healing right not just psychedelic based integration but i do feel that that's a really important part is creating structure and and systems for the people around to support that person's journey yes and i'm so happy you say that because I think what I have noticed and what for me is so important is that, you know, when people say, oh, psychedelics, can it heal me? I said, no, it's not going to heal anything. Psychedelics is an enhancer. That's what it is. I call it an enhancer. For me, that's like the most precise way I can describe it in a simple way because it enhances whatever environment we're in. And that means that it can be very harmful and it can be hugely beneficial and healing. It really depends on what environment we have cultivated before, doing, and after, right? So the psychedelics will just enhance 
And if somebody goes back to a job they hate with a horrible boss and abusive relationship, taking a psychedelics might even make them worse because they become even more open and that experience become even more integrated, right, with that neuroplasticity. So this is why, again, you're right. And it's a very Western idea, I guess, looking at that, oh, I go on a retreat, like somehow getting an escape and then you get fixed and come back when which I think you're so correct to say, it's about creating that. And I guess my question is, and I have some input on this, but I really want to hear your perspective on it, on how we can try and do this. Because obviously we don't live in indigenous society, as you say, we do live in these weird buildings, concrete buildings around us and four-wheel horses that are driving around on, on asphalt, right? So how do we do this in a culture that had glorify individualism for so long that we all kind of grown up with this idea that I'm strong, I'm independent, I don't need anybody else and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I wish it was an easy answer and that it could be so easily implemented across the world, right? We'd be all much better off. You know, I, I feel that when we, we can start, we start with small steps, we start with building a vocabulary, we start with education, helping people to understand what is happening, why it's happening to them, and why it's not something to be looked at with some kind of judgment or fear, right? So what were, what, why are people seeking healing in the first place? Let's start there. What's the reason for us to better ourselves, for us to get out of these mind-numbing activities, for us to do more with our lives, people who are looking for purpose. Let's start with the why, and then we can help to educate people the what, what's actually happening, if it's psychedelic substances, you know, what's actually the the, the changes that are happening in, in their, you know, in their life, in their in their brains, but also in their in their subjective experience. And then you know, why, why is this something that's even being looked at? You know, for some people who, who are really focused on the rational, they want to know the studies, they want to know how this is, can be helpful. So we can, we can educate, we can prepare people, and then we can practice. And it's not to say, let's all go and take psychedelics. I'm somebody who really is very conservative on this. I don't think that they're for everyone, mm -hmm. nor do I think that they're going to support all people's process. Yeah. They're certainly not for everyone. And frankly, they're illegal in most parts of the world, right? So what are things that we can practice together that helps us create and mimic that altered state experience and that building in relationship and in community? So we do different somatic exercises, you know, relationship exercises together where we're connecting with one another. Some of these even very simple activities that we do in these retreats like eye gazing and really connecting with another and list deep listening. All of this is part of their very small steps to help create a shared understanding of a shift that's happening. And so maybe it's about some infrastructure that supports communities to come together and just be real with one another. You know, women, we do, of course, men have men's circles as well, but there's, there's also women's circles that, that I personally have been part of for such a long time and that I facilitated just regular moments of accountability and listening and sharing, that's already creating a community. Uh, that's already integration. That's a support system that can be created so that that person, that woman who's in that circle month to month, she goes off and does her experience. She can come back to a safe place where she can integrate. And so how do we design these community uh, circles and gatherings that have nothing to do with the peak experience? but that are already sort of creating that foundation for people. Yeah, and maybe that's where the focus needs to be. I hosted a workshop just over the weekend here on Sunday, and it was beautiful to see how simple it is to bring people back in connection. We did tribal dance, as you said, we did eye gazing. We put people in a circle so it already feels more tribal. Um, and create that space where they feel they can let their guards down for a little bit that is off most of the time, right? And you can even see their body started to relax, their shoulders dropping, softening, or even the resistance to something simple as looking another human being in the eyes, which is difficult mm -hmm. for many people in London, right? It's a very basic of human connection um, because we have created this separation, right? But you can also see how quickly when you engage that way that people come back. And I just spoke to 
Jessica this morning, actually, because I know you're working on some really fascinating things we'll we'll talk about later. And I'm obviously working with Jessica also on how we can create these communities. And even, you know, as we discussed, part of community is having shared purpose and goal. And often we work again individually. I do my job. I pay my house. We lack a shared meaning and goal with the people around us, which is why it doesn't form. And even bringing people together even bringing people together to have to cook together and do tasks together, right? Or sitting around a campfire where they each have a task. Something very, very simple can start giving people a sense of purpose, of meaning, and togetherness. And you were so spot on when you said that's what we need to focus on before we even talk about should I or should I not engage with the psychedelics, right? Is that beneficial? The other things should be in place first. So I think I'm so happy you said that. And I think as we're talking about this, these different models, you mentioned the indigenous community, we talked about the medical model. How can these two meet each other? Because it doesn't help that we are in some optimal fantasy world, right? We live in this world. How can we, do you think somehow, bring them together in this integration process? I do believe there's a lot of room for shared knowledge and practice to be had, right? I I fundamentally believe that integration is that bridge between the the clinical model and the ceremonial, you know, Mm -hmm. the science and the sacred. I feel that integration really connects the two because ultimately, no matter what we do, whatever context, the only way that it will be meaningful is if we integrate. And so how can we, how can those two models kind of talk to one another? And there are some ways to do that, right? Without, on the one hand, without trying to appropriate any kind of um, indigenous tradition and assume something that's not yours. And on, on the other side, not uh, diagnosing yourself or needing to diagnose yourself as having some kind of indication in order to even get well, right? So there's different ways that we can find these and integrate integrate the integration, right? Um, simple practices that we often maybe um, feel kind of cast aside in terms of creating a, for example, one that comes up a lot is establishing a ritual, Right, a ritual is is doesn't matter where you come from. We create something that has consistency, that creates mm. presence. It allows you to drop in and be fully focused on what you're doing. Creating a ritual is a very simple integration mm. uh, that that really connects both worlds. Um, again, it assumes the individual to go into to practice this. Right, it's not about integration. Is not about somebody else telling you what to do, how to do it, and doing it for you. You're not going to have a doctor integrating you. You know, you have you have a psychotherapist potentially that you have a talking relationship with, but at the end of the day, you're showing up and you're investing your time and your energy to being in a psychotherapeutic dynamic, right? So the ritual is kind of like a way to anchor into your own sort of what you need and how you can apply that learning to your life. And it can be a very simple ritual, wake up in the morning and write a few words of gratitude. It can be more elaborate and you create an altar for yourself and you have a ceremony and you light a candle. And there's, there's so many different ways. Or the ritual is just, you know, when you, when you wake up in the morning, you go and you, you give a kiss to your, your child and you, you really in place that intention, right? It can really take on so many different forms. Um, so that's just an example of, you know, what are some tools that we can use that it's it's irrespective of what of the of the context of these these peak experiences right i love it you know and i'm so happy that we have this discussion that broadened it much more than just talking about psychedelics itself um yeah this actually brings me a lot of joy and when you mentioned rituals it made me think that you know i start every day with a ritual of appreciation in a video journal i do and then i send it to someone i know and, you know, they might send back to me, etc. And that creates this both a social aspect to it because it's shared and also that, you know, I get to reflect every day. What is it I appreciate? Even on days that are a bit hard, there's like I appreciate being in a warm house in the winter in England, right? I appreciate having a bed that I can go to. Um, I appreciate being dry when it rains. And it's very simple, but it's a ritual, as you said. And I, I just qualified actually as a couple's, 
um, as a couples therapist. And, you know, part of there's this uh, relationship expert and researcher who says that how you greet and how you say goodbye to your partner has a huge impact. And we often forget that because we are busy when they come home. We do keep doing our stuff. What if you just stopped? for one minute and had eye contact and connected. What if however busy you are, you stopped for 30 seconds and gave a proper goodbye, a big hug? What different would that be, right, if you do it every day? And it just reminded me of that when you mentioned rituals, because I think you're right, and it's actually very powerful, but often forgotten in our busy lives, that small, short rituals done consistently actually accumulate to something quite significant. Absolutely. And we can also see ritual as an offering. So a big part of how at least I, I, I like to look at integration, and it does connect, of course, it does bridge the clinical and the ceremonial, is this aspect of making an offering. This is where reciprocity for me is really important. And I feel that as a concept, it's very much inspired by and derived from traditional wisdom, but it can be applied also in a therapeutic relationship, is what is it that I'm, by engaging with these substances, these experiences, this whole psychedelic world, by working on my own healing, my own transformation, psychedelic or otherwise, what is it that I'm actually offering to others? What does that offering look like? How mm -hmm. am I healing the world, those around me, my relationships, and then the broader sort of societal, environmental change, right? Like, what am I actually going to change in, that affects my planet? That's like a bigger question. But these, these, um, this moment that you describe of really looking at another in the eyes, taking 30 seconds, that ritual of doing that is an offering also. You're doing mm. it for yourself, but you're doing it to, to heal the world because the more we do that, the more we start spreading out that, that ritual, that practice to others, the more others will take the time to take 30 seconds to really look at another. And so for me, integration is actually really about the bigger picture. It's about the impact that we can make through these small and mighty integration practices. Mm, that's really beautiful. Feels good. And I think, I guess, psychedelics is just part of, I guess, an overall picture as we're discussing here, bringing us back into connection. I think that's really the essence, right? And psychedelics for some people, as you said, certainly not for all, can be a tool that helps them come back in connection with self and others sometimes when maybe they have been too disconnected because maybe it's trauma, maybe there have been different defense strategies that have blocked connection for good reason. And maybe it can help them come back to the roots of what we naturally are, I think, which are human beings in connection. And before trauma, before socialization, that is very natural to us, right? Very yes. natural. And then somehow along the way, we lost it for, for good reason. Um, and we develop different strategies to cope with the world. And I think where I saw psychedelics as a small part together with this integration is basically coming back in connection. That's what it's really all about. And so I love the points you're bringing up here. One thing I wanted, because of course we are talking about these substances, so I still want to bring them into the picture because when people come for integration, and you might have experiences, I certainly have, if they come for support in that then they kind of had really challenging experiences too that are really difficult for them to cope with. And yeah, I guess, or it's more again a, a conversation, but I'm curious about your opinion, how we might be able to, again, support these people that might struggle coping alone with something quite overwhelming. Yes, yeah, so there's certainly in, in my own one-on-one uh, -on -one integration that I do, uh, I find that for certain substances and um, sort of the context in which somebody enters to work with an altered state, with a psychedelic, there, there, there can be an element of dissociation, for example, of being out of their body and not yet back in their body. This happens quite, um, I, I receive this as sort of a, an effect quite often. You know, there's this almost a grieving of the fact that they were in their body and that they now know what that feels like to really be outside and to see a bigger picture. It's almost a loss. It's a loss of identity, of identity in the world. And then 
as a result, they're kind of like existing out of their body. And then there's how are they going to be able to come back to the reality that at the end of the day, we're humans that exist in a body container. We need to sleep. We need to eat. We need to, you know, have very real functioning that that does not keep us in the plane of, you know, this cosmic realm, out-of-body realm. And so what I feel is, is important for, for, you know, in these experiences is to really come back to the body through somatic techniques. I feel that integration ultimately, yes, it's integrating, you know, on a philosophical level, psychedelic experiences and insights into habits and practices, but also on a very literal level, psychedelics, have this tendency for dissociation. And so we need to come back. And there are certain techniques, you know, grounding exercises and deep belly breathing, something, you know, not very intense holotropic breath work, right? Something that's really slow and sensitive to every single movement that we make with our bodies um, to help us bring us back to center. And this is a really important first step before we start making any other kind of decisions with these psychedelics. Psychedelics can, can project us into places where we want to make a bunch of changes very quickly and radically, right? We can maybe want to change mm-hmm. jobs, end a relationship, move continents. A lot of things can happen. And we can only make those decisions from an embodied place because it's the reality we live in, as you say, right? We're ultimately here. And so bringing back to the body for me is a very important first step. Uh, that that isn't that is necessary for these challenging moments yeah i think that's so spot on and i actually found the same i trained in integrated somatic trauma therapy first i did it for myself to be honest because i felt i needed to learn it myself and you know i host these tribal dances now um, but again i started doing it because i was very disembodied and i found the same that actually like you said, people often want to do rest decisions, but actually we need to do the opposite. We need to slow down, really slow down and not make any decisions afterwards. You know, we need to let things stabilize, integrate first before we can actually make good decisions and have an understanding of what is actually occurring and get perspective again, which can easily be lost, right? And I think you're right. It starts with coming back to the body which is why I love using all these embodied practices, like you said, too, and breath work, other modalities that brings people back. And from that place, they can find grounding and then they can make better decisions of how this experience maybe can or they want to impact their life going forward. So thank you for bringing that up. I'm curious if somebody is sitting listening and thinking, oh, this is very interesting. And we obviously don't condone or say people should ever go do with these substances like you said there's different laws in different countries and people obviously need to look up themselves what they can and can't do and we don't endorse people doing anything illegal if someone were to do this what would be some advice maybe you would give them to help them on this journey that they would obviously jump on absolutely i always say to first take a in terms of the timeline of the journey right preparation is the, such an important part of this whole process. And the quality of a preparation determines the quality of one's integration. And mm-hmm. so how long we prepare, prepare and how well we prepare is a really important first step. So after making the necessary sort of, you know, before even checking for a place that, that does what you, you know, has a substance or experience that you want to do, to check in with oneself and to ask how comfortable am I already navigating the unknown? How comfortable am I already in letting go of my Mm day-to-day behaviors, patterns, thoughts? How comfortable am I with fear? Mm -hmm. And when fear comes up, what do I do about it? How do I react? How does my body react? How does my mind react? Just questions that just prepare us for what it's like to enter a state where to be honest, these, these altered states experiences, a lot of it is determined by how much we can really let go, how much we can feel safe with ourselves without having control. So what is our relationship to control? How much do we really want to control the experience itself? These are all very, you know, notice I'm not mentioning anything about the substance or the place. It's really about how we navigate ourselves within this context of an altered state. And if we also do any practices already, that get us there. Do we have a regular meditation practice? 
and not just a five minute meditation, but like a very deep where we go in and we just explore what it feels like in our bodies when thoughts come up, how do we process them? Do we already have a practice that is consistent that helps us come outside of ourselves for a brief moment? This will help determine how, how ready we are to just go right to the top of the mountain, right? Where we really need to take some steps to get there first. Yeah, I think that preparation is absolutely key. And like you said, you mentioned surrender and that is so spot on because I feel that people who get stuck in very fearful experiences that are very challenging is exactly because of that. They're trying to maintain control and then it becomes more and more fearful, right? Until the point where maybe it becomes almost panicky and they've struggled to come back. So I think you're so spot on that practicing what your relationship is to being able to let go of control. And I know a long time ago when my nervous system was very different, I wanted to be in control of everything, which is what we do when we are more anxious, right? I would micromanage everything in my company, etc. always in control. And, you know, I had to do a lot of practice before even considering any of these substances and spent years trying to learn to let go of control, collaborating, trusting other people could do their part and maybe they could even do it better than me. Um, you know, and, and letting go. And that was so helpful. And I'm so grateful. I did that because in my first experience, that was exactly what happened. The first half an hour was very fearful. And I started feeling my body was drowning and dying. And I was trying to, and then my dear friend who was there, because as I said, I planned it well, say, Thomas, you're safe, let go. And then I said, okay. So I let my body just drown. And then after that, I could see my body from the outside and I felt this enormous sense of calm and peace, like fear had just let go because it's only really there to maintain this body and the body wasn't there. And then I went to the other side where I had this incredible embodied experience and, and you know, had things happen that obviously changed my nervous system permanently, but only because I let go. So I think that point you said, have a practice already where you engage with how is your relationship to control um i think is such a good and important point that you brought up so thank you for that are there any other tips you would give to people that maybe they can do for for preparation yeah so once you know it's funny when you talk about your personal experience and you say how it took you a long time to really to make changes, real changes in your life that help you get to the point of letting go of control. I'm sure some listeners will be like, wow, that sounds like a lot of work. And indeed, <laughs> you know, it is. It's We're being realistic here. You know, it is a process. It's not about deciding tomorrow, okay, I'm now in two months going to go and do a psychedelic experience. Like that, you might very well be ready in two months, but we don't know. It's, it's very individual. It depends, again, on your relationship to everything else. Mm -hmm. And so let's say, you know, we've, we've, we're talking about someone who's been doing that kind of work, they're doing those practices, they feel ready, then it's more of, you know, getting ready for that experience in terms of preparation from a harm reduction perspective too, mm -hmm. right? Like now let's start asking the right questions about my setting. Mm -hmm. Where am I going to be doing this? Who is with me? You mentioned you had somebody there you trusted that made you feel safe. That's so important. Very, very important is safety. It's one thing for many people who might feel this romantic notion of wanting to go do an ayahuasca experience in the jungle. That may not be a safe place for you individually to do this. It's a completely different environment. You don't know what to expect. People yeah. are there in a language maybe you don't understand and doing things you have no idea of what's happening. So yeah, sure. there is there's something to be said about the setting that we choose. Do, are we, you know, in the comfort of a, a someone we know for a long time? Are they a therapist that's guiding you? Are they a friend that you trust? Is it a retreat space where you already got to know the other participants if you're doing it in a group? So all of these are very important questions for that preparation. Who is there? How many people are there? Do I know these people? Um, what does that support system really look like? And then, of course, there's the question of the substance and your own mindset. But I do think the setting is often 
underlooked because we assume that we just go into a retreat and we don't even know how many people are there. We don't know who they are. We don't know their own, you know, are they, are their traumas going to start coming up in the <laughs> middle of an experience that's going to affect yours? Do you want to be in that situation? So there's, there's all these kind of questions on how you want to experience this. Yeah. And this is so important because like you said, and this is again, I think very Western, this idea, we go to a stranger, like you go to a therapist, you don't know, or a doctor you don't know, or on a retreat with somebody you don't know, you go to a stranger. Instead, in indigenous, you go to somebody you already know, right? The person will already know who you are in that community, and they will be able to evaluate, you will feel more safe, because you already know them, right? And, you know, in, in, all the research that has been done on different therapeutic modalities, I'm not talking psychedelics now, just therapy, has found consistently that it's not the modality that determines outcome, it's a relationship with the therapist. So I think it's fair to presume that, of course, this would be probably very similar in this instance, right? Maybe even more so because you're having an enhanced experience. So knowing and building trust with the people beforehand, I think is so critical you know, and when people ask me, should I go on this retreat? I always say, probably not. Um, I think unless that person has built a relationship with you beforehand, you feel really safe with them and you feel you really know them. Um, so I think that's a really important point, again, that you bring up about having that setting, having that space, you know, who are these people we are going to engage with? So, so important. Again, because it comes back to social, right, and community where we started yes. in the beginning, so again, before, doing, and after. Um, I wanted to just ask you before we uh, slowly finish up the podcast, is about what you kind of see as a future for psychedelics going forward, because we're in this interesting space. Some people expected it to be legalized already. It obviously is partly in Australia and in some states in the US, in the Netherlands, but in most parts still not. So what do you mm -hmm. think is going to happen You know, at this stage we're at at the moment? I have maybe two answers. One is a bit more realistic to what's happening now. And, you know, then I have a more idealistic uh, answer that I really hope for. Um, you know, I, I feel that first right now we're still in the stage where psychedelics are taking on sort of the medicalized hat and, and they're going to contribute to the medical model first. That's where the money is. That's where the, you know, the resources are. That's where the greatest barrier, you know, the easiest barrier of entry from a sort of stigmatization perspective. That's where the, you know, the studies can be held. And so the future of this is potentially amplifying the current medical model to allow for these to happen in a regulated, accessible way. But that's really strictly keeping to clinicians, to licensed professionals that are administering this in a, in a, you know, kind of the way that we can assume for any other kind of treatment. That will exist, that will amplify, that will grow. However, that will also mean even more necessary arrangements need to be made for the infrastructure of integration support, whether that be educating existing psychotherapists in other, you know, in other therapeutic modalities uh, to support somebody who's coming out of that medical system and is now back into reality, and they're calling up their acupuncturist, they're calling up their massage therapist, and they're like, I just had a psychedelic experience. What do I, what, you know, please know this before you work with me, right? So now it's about empowering the professionals that are in the parallel sort of areas of support to make sure that they're psychedelic literate and, and able to support you know, to be part of an integration process, given that knowledge. And that's what I'm, you know, building with, with Reciproco, with this integration program, is to empower these professionals so that they can feel comfortable in somebody's journey without necessarily being the one facilitating these substances. So on the one side, there's this kind of, okay, we need to play catch up and develop infrastructure that, that meets where people are at and where we're going. And then from a more... I guess, idealistic point of view, what I really hope to see is integration as, the, as just another one of the steps in the psychedelic journey and that everything is really taken care of from the beginning. And that when we talk about doing an, an altered state, we're actually talking about changing our whole life path. And here are the steps we do it. And psychedelics are just one of the little slots 
in that timeline. Yes. The timeline gets longer, it becomes more organic, and psychedelics almost lessen in their importance, so to speak, right? Yes. It's less about them. So, yeah, so much. I think that resonates a lot. And, you know, I guess I also have a idealistic like you and because uh, realistically I think you're right there will be approved for medical use again with diagnosis the traditional system my wish my more idealistic would be that we can expand on that because again if it's just in a medical model we are back to the idea where it's about I give you something and you get better and we forget the whole component we spent almost an hour discussing which is social Right, because they're not done in a social way, and also it negate a lot of modalities that doesn't fit with cognitive talk therapy potentially together with that, right? And bringing communities. So I hope that in the future, probably not right now, it will be where we maybe can have legalized that people can also use it in other ways in other settings than just a medical model. So that would be my ideal wish. So who knows where this might go? But before we end, I would love for people to know where they can find more about your work because you're awesome and you do some amazing work. So I want people to have the opportunity to kind of look you up. Maybe they want to get in contact with you. How can they do that? Absolutely. Well, people can find me on my website. I'll send it to you, amandaefthemia.com. I've I've created this retreat and education concept called Reciproco that I just mentioned that is really about supporting professionals in integrating altered states experiences. And so people can find out about these retreats and the upcoming course that we're launching uh, in January is the start date. And that's at reciprocomethod.com. People can find me on Instagram. And I also have an integration newsletter where I just share all kinds of ideas around integration and, how that's affecting our world today and uh, people can also find me there as well amazing and uh, we will put the link in the description below so people can go check it there for easy access thank you so much for sharing your perspective and knowledge today it's been really insightful and actually very nurturing as well just to you know it's lovely to find somebody to align with, with viewing this kind of modality and how it's much more expansive so thank you so much amanda Oh, thank you, Thomas. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope to see you back here again soon.